Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and this podcast hasn't even begun yet and it's already been more of a shambles than usual. We've had a few technical issues at our end and now Stephen Finn has reluctantly come and joined the podcast. Daniel Norcross is currently on a train back from Nottingham to London after commentating on the England versus New Zealand ridiculous second test match that unfolded just a few hours ago. Finney is currently in the middle of a game He's with the Sussex boys who are playing away in Glamorgan. And Finney, you sent a photo to our WhatsApp group of you in a bar in Cardiff watching a band on stage just minutes ago, but you've reluctantly left the bar and come and join us for the podcast. Where were you? Who were you with? What was the band like? What were they singing? Um, and how delighted are you to be chatting to me about the cricket? Well, I don't know what they were singing because they started at... 10 o'clock and I left the bar at 10.01 so <laughs> I might have caught the first bar of whatever they were doing and had to walk out. I was with a couple of my teammates. We were just we were sort of walking past the bar and, and popped in and thought oh live music that'd be nice for an hour and then I was like oh actually sorry boys I've got this absolute shambles of a podcast that I need to go back and start and, and yeah and, and here I am but yeah it's not been the most pleasant evening so far and, and it's just been made a little bit less pleasant now if we do this quickly maybe you can uh, go back and get the last bar of that band's performance in that bar so you know we will get into it sooner rather than later i promise yeah i'm, I'm just a little bit old to be coming back to a hotel and then going back out again i'm not 19 anymore unfortunately i'm 33 years old and, and now that my bed is directly behind me uh, and I've, you know, had a had a nice cup of tea for the evening. I think it's probably time that um, that I settle in and, and focus on what we've got tomorrow, which is the last day of the game here. Um, and I'm here, uh, a mentor slash bowling coach for the young guys because I've got a slight Achilles problem at the moment this week, um, and I've got plenty of work to do tomorrow. I mean, you you are getting old because can you imagine back in the day when you were when you were a young upstart? getting the opportunity, you're not playing tomorrow, you're not in a playing capacity, 
you're in Cardiff, great city, and you know all the excuses in the world to to get stuck into the nightlife. But here you are, looking forward to bed and a cup of tea. You're not as you're not as rock and roll as you used to be, are you, Finney? No, well. Unfortunately, cricket has become a lot more professional over the last 17 years since I made my first class debut. And I've no doubt that 17 years ago in 2005, that if this opportunity was presented to someone who wasn't playing in the game and some who were, that they would be latching onto it with two hands to, to let it run through. Because Cardiff, surprisingly, it's been unbelievably warm this week. And for some reason, that must have just meant that everyone wants to go out and have a beer. So the town was buzzing when I was walking back through it just then, cursing your name, cursing Sal's name and cursing Norcross's name for um, for dragging me away from something that might have been fun. But that seems to be the running theme of this podcast for the last 18 months is that I'm sort of on the cusp of doing something fun. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, I've got to go and do this podcast that we get paid nothing for. It's brilliant. <laughs> To be fair, Cardiff is probably the best nightlife out. It's certainly one of the best nightlifes in the UK. And you've just left it to, to come and chat just to me. Norcross didn't even bother turning up. He's probably out, he's probably out of the best. He's probably in Cardiff. He's probably watching the band. Now, I do uh, I do need to also ask you, because you had a bit of a nightmare getting into your hotel room, didn't you? Because you, you locked yourself out, didn't you, you silly sausage? Well, I had a couple of nightmares, actually, on the way up. Because I was rushing back, because I was slightly late for the podcast to start, which has turned out being, you know, didn't need to rush back for it whatsoever um, because of what a shambles it has been. But yeah, whilst I was dashing back, got back up, I must have had my phone next to my key. Didn't, um, didn't work when I swiped the key through the door. So I had to go back down to reception to get the key recut. Got it recut, walked out the lift. I was walking through the door frame um, just outside my door like in the corridor to come down to my room. And I bashed my head on the door frame on the way through. So I'm probably mildly concussed, um, very pissed off, um, and I'm going to wake up with a headache tomorrow morning for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Surely, you mentioned it there, you're 33 years old. How are you still bumping into door frames? You must have known you're six foot seven since you were about 14 years old. Yeah, well, I've, um, I've worked on my posture a lot in recent years. So I, um, I used to be a very slouched over human being, but you know, with, with the fact that I'm getting old, I've had to make particular effort to um, look after my back and look after my shoulders probably playing less playstation now than i did maybe three or four years ago so um yeah i, I maybe i'm just walking that little bit taller which means that i keep bashing my head on uh, on every door frame that i walk through you were quite slouched actually when i picked you in an england shirt you were sort of shaggy from scooby-doo is the sort of physique that i am picturing you in now when you used to play for england that's a very good point well it's good to hear that you've uh, corrected your posture later in age, better late than never. You mentioned, by the way, a few moments ago about when you first started out that people would definitely be getting stuck into the nightlife. Is that genuine? When you first started the county scene, were there some old heads in the changing room that were... I mean, there was rumours that the county scene in back in the 90s and beforehand and even into the noughties was basically a never-ending stag dude for some people. Well, I, when I did my first few games and you saw senior players getting out their car with four crisply ironed shirts on hangers to, to go into their hotel room and hang up so that they could look smart for their nights out. Yeah, that sort of set the tone. I turned up with a pair of jogging bottoms and a T-shirt thinking and a pair of swimming shorts thinking that we'd be doing recovery each night. But the, um, the old heads had a couple of shoes, shoe options, a couple of jean options and four crisply ironed shirts to take on the nights out. So, um, yeah, I'd say times have changed slightly now. And speaking of um, men that have never had a 
crisply ironed shirt in their entire life. Daniel Norcross has now cho- chosen to join us. Norcross, you've had a bit of a nightmare on the trains. This podcast is a shambles and we're only just getting going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nearly broken man, Toby. I missed the the 1914 train or 19 or whatever it was uh, by one and a half minutes because of a, a one-way system in Nottingham that my driver hadn't taken into account and uh, then sat outside a microbrewery for 37 minutes drinking wine, got on the next train, which was then stuck behind another train. It's a very boring train story. I'm an hour behind where I should be. I'm exhausted. I've spent five days in a knocking shop. The last couple of them, literally, I mean, you know, not, I say literally, the Airbnb I was staying in because I was working for SEN was uh, was in a part of town where the um, the Uber driver who took us into Trent Bridge on the second day said, uh, what are you guys doing? They, they obviously clocked. We were kind of like white and middle class. What are you guys doing here? It's a bit stabby and it's very druggy. And these, these are all brothels, man. <laughs> which, <laughs> which was... Which was quite the way to to be sort of introduced to your location, <laughs> and from that point on, it then became a mission to sort of spend as little time in it as humanly possible. So um, I was there for about five hours a day, and I'm absolutely shagged out. It's a, well, that would be the brothels. <laughs> yes, chance to be a fine thing. Um, yeah, um, la- last night, very amusingly, sidekick Simon from Alan Partridge, Tim Key. Oh, stayed with us because uh, there were spare rooms in the knocking shop. <laughs> it's quite cheap for a good reason. And there are like millions of bloody rooms with on suites. Uh, all of them top lit, not a single side light anywhere and not a single side table. I consider that to be extremely suspicious. And then <laughs> are you? <laughs> he woke up this morning, greeted him in the, in the kitchen. It was the only day he hadn't got a ticket for it. It was the only day when it was free. <laughs> which was ridiculous but anyway we got him in we smuggled him in somehow and uh what a result I, I saw tim key so tim key if you don't know very funny comedian and brilliant actor who's been in yes alpha papa and all sorts of the recent alan partridge shows as uh as sidekick simon uh he's also has a great cameo in an episode of peep show He's in the first ever episode of Inside Number Nine. He's great, right? He's in all the shows that I. Hang love. on a minute. What? Why? Why didn't my producer give me all of this research when I was interviewing him for thirty-five minutes before I went on air? I, Toby, have you thought of like retraining as a producer? I mean, I've seen producers sell up close and personal, and you know, it looks like a piss easy gig to be honest. And uh, he's now sticking two middle fingers up at me on Zoom. <laughs> Probably should two middle fingers. Fucking <laughs> good effort. Well, that's what you- <laughs> chop one off and sewn one on. <laughs> uh, I should. Uh, I should probably not insult the only person out of the four of us that actually does any bloody work on this podcast. Um, but Tim Key is also a wonderful poet. He writes poetry books. He writes poems on Twitter constantly. And usually he's he's quite political with his poetry, but um, he obviously was at the cricket a lot this week because he turned his eye to poetry for the cricket. And he mentioned none other than Mr. Stephen Finn. You finally made it, Finney. This is, this is the peak of your career featuring in a Tim Key Twitter poem. I can't read out all the poem because it features the C word on more than one occasion. Collingwood. Um, but it, yeah, yes, Collingwood. Uh, but he, he, he basically, the premise is that he tried to get a chant going at Trent Bridge. And he says, uh, I kept doing the chant. It was evolving the whole time, too. I was referencing Hick and Stephen Finn in my chant now. 
The rhythm was constantly changing. I didn't have my fat face granddad shirt on anymore. I was yelling day night cricket at the top of my voice and going red and beating my chest. So Stephen Finn, you got a mention in Tim P's Twitter poetry, which is I want to know what the fuck for. Uh, just, just that you were just—he was referencing you in one of his chants at Trent Bridge. Which, yeah, but why has he put me in the same sentence as Graham Hick? I don't understand. Just two, uh, two England players that never quite fulfilled their potential. I guess was what the Venn diagram he was going for. I don't know really, Phil. To be honest, you'd have to ask Tim Key. Well, we we could ask Tim Key. I've asked him if he wants to be on the pod. Oh, great! Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Lovely. Well, this is not for Can on air. Can you take my place next week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. No, he wasn't joking at all. Look at him. He's, by the way, Dan, I should mention Finney's more miserable than ever because I dragged him away from a fun night in Cardiff to do this podcast. Oh, I know. Oh. The way he's framed himself makes him look more like a giraffe than ever, though, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> you have. You are just all. You've just stopped the camera just short of where your shoulders are so you're just because i'm not wearing any clothes oh good oh good <laughs> yeah keep it oh, like that. that then please i'm yeah. completely naked yeah oh good well well that suddenly our females listeners ears have perked up um right well you'll be delighted to hear finney that we actually have got such a brilliant test match to talk about between england and new zealand that we don't even have time to get into the Sussex batting capitulation. Oh, that was hilarious. I watched that while playing pool in a pub in uh, Nottingham, and it was genuinely, genuinely the funniest thing we'd ever seen, because Simon Mann's a Gloucestershire fan, of course, and he was extremely miserable through most of the game. And uh, and I assured him that, don't worry, Sussex can implode. And then, because I, I, I didn't want Simon to be happy, I, for one of the few times since we've done this podcast... I was willing Finney on so big time, so big time to get that six with that Woodstock bat, incidentally, one of which I now have. And, uh, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Aren't they good? How could you oh, fail to hit good. sixes with them? I mean, and really. so reasonably priced as well. So reasonably priced, incredibly <laughs> priced. They've got lovely gloves and pads and thigh pads. They've, all, all of their gear is made. came in a superb bag as well, which you can strap onto your back. It's very oh, helpful for a man I've, like me. I've got my Woodstock bag just next to me. Just there it is with its straps as well. Yeah, it's very similar. Yes, it, <laughs> very, very similar. And I've, I've, I've picked it up and I've actually played a little bit, played a little bit of cricket in the corridor of the Trent Bridge um, commentary box. It came straight out of the sweet spot. It flew back at producer Jamie at incredible speed. It's hard to know how an actual professional cricketer wouldn't be able to use that to send a ball over the fence rather than into the gleeful waiting hands of a fielder after yeah. <laughs> thereby confirming. I wasn't actually trying to hit it for six, funny enough. You are just trying to chip it in the air. I was trying to hit it for two. <laughs> That's <laughs> you think, where you're going Finney, wrong. Finney, yeah, Finney. But then I watched it back and it looks like I've tried to hit it for six, but I was only trying to hit it for two. <laughs> I think you need to rein back the sophistication in your batting, you know. I think leave the twos for Joe Root, right? You should just swing for the hill. Yeah, but twos was all we need. We needed three twos at that stage. Not We didn't need one six. We needed three twos. You needed one six. <laughs> now, you say that you say this, Finney. However, did you explain this after the game? Did you dare tell one of your coaches, I was trying to hit it for two, I promise. Or did you just keep your head down and get out of there? Well, in a batting collapse like that, it's not usually the number 11 who gets a bollock in. So I um, I escaped it. Well, it was eight. Well, for, it was eight for twenty-three, wasn't it? In thirty-seven yeah, can balls. We move on. I thought we didn't. I thought we had time for this. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I did. Ju- I, we started this entire conversation by saying that we didn't have time for this. Uh, well, if you do have any doubts, Finney, about um, 
swinging for the fences a bit more and slogging a bit more. Trent Bolt, who now literally just bats like a baseball hitter. Um, since the start of 2020, his test batting average is 34.75 and Virat Kohli's is 28. So, Finney, if in doubt, next time, swing for the fences. Are you trying, uh, to, get this, are you trying, to, are you trying to get this podcast cancelled, Toby? You don't, you don't want to be saying things like that. <laughs> Let's just not market this episode to India, all right? Yeah, Liat, well, look, I don't, think we need to, I don't think we're in a position where we can afford to say no to 1.1 billion potential listeners. So we're going to have to take what we can get. Uh, also, those are just facts. I didn't offer any opinion on that fact. I just presented the facts. Uh, we also don't have time to mention the fact that Sussex lost to Dan Norcross's Surrey this week. We don't have time because we need to get in oh, yeah, the England versus New Zealand test match. The second test match, and it was another ridiculous <laughs> game of cricket. One of the greatest test matches I've ever seen. Um, I don't know if the New Zealand fans and players would agree quite so much. And another incredible run chase in this new era of McCullum and Ben Stokes. So if you missed it, it was even more ridiculous than the last test. England chased 299 in the fourth innings of a test match on day five to win by five wickets. The more obscene part of that is they needed 160 runs to win at T and they'd won the game before 5.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> Johnny Bairstow went absolutely berserk in one of the greatest England knocks of all time. He scored 136 off barely anything. He nearly scored the fastest England test century of all time, just missing out on the record to Gilbert Jessup, who, of course, Norcross probably went to school well, with and played cricket with and whatever. I just wanted um, to say, you know, they just don't make match-winning, bewildering, incredible and amazing innings like they used to, do they? You know, the young people today. Missed out by one ball. It was insane. Gilbert Jessup, incidentally, though, when he did that, you didn't get a six for getting it over the rope. You only got six if you hit it out of the ground. So, do you know what I mean? He had a slightly bigger degree of difficulty. Well, it's, it's unbelievable that I, when I saw that record, I didn't actually know the record until I saw Bearstow nearly get it, that Gilbert Jessup has got the fastest ever English test century. The most famous test seven... match in English history. Well, uh, yeah, ever. 1902. Well, off 76 balls against Australia at the Oval in 1902. I'm surprised he didn't get burned at the stake when they watched him <laughs> doing that. In was like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't you know, Gil, but we don't hit it above knee height at this at this point. So a freakish statistic that. Anyway, Johnny well, Bairstow just missed in, out. Hang on, very, very briefly, he came in at 40-odd for five, hit 102 out of 137 runs. And then that's a famous Hurston Rhodes game, which I'm sure Finney was brought up on the moment he was inducted into the England team. He'd be sat down, have to look, watch a, a documentary about it. We'd get him in singles. It's actually quite apposite to what happened today because Hurston Rhodes famously said, we'll get him in singles, although we don't know if that's true. And clearly Bairstow and Stokes said, we'll get him in sixes because Stokes, the Bairstow said, that Stokes said to him at tea time, I don't want you hitting the ball on the ground. You're hitting it into the crowd. What an incredibly mad, brilliant, brilliantly mad thing to say to someone. No, I don't want fours. I want sixes in a well, test I mean, match when you need 160 to win with six wickets in hand and a tail longer than a diplodocus. Unbelievable madness. It was mayhem. It was crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anything as, as, as continuously berserk as that. I did the first 20 minutes after tea today and I commentated 59 runs in four overs the first over after tea 
have a little look, maybe, you know, need 160, 38 overs, you know, oh, it's around about the four and over mark. If we sort of go on at threes, three and a half for the first seven or eight overs, see where we're at, get back in. No, fuck that. Let's just smash it into the fucking crowd time and time again. What, what madness was that? It, it, the irony was that Ben Stokes apparently it was specifically to the short ball. Ben Stokes said, "If you're going to take on the hook shot, hit it into the crowd. Don't even try and keep it down, because he says that's the short boundary, and it's a terrible tactic." The irony being that England spent all morning doing the exact same yes. tactic the New Zealand tail enders. Um, <laughs> Finney, I've got to ask you about this because England now in two Test matches, admittedly under this new exciting, attacking, aggressive Stokes McCullum era, have chased down two huge record-breaking scores. Actually. The test captains sort of need to have a rethink now, especially after today, about what you dare set a team in a test match because of the advent of white ball cricket and what batsmen are capable of now in such a short amount of time. We've seen some mad run chases recently, England twice recently, uh, Headingley, of course, with Stokes, uh, that mad West Indian run chase with Carl Mayers uh, a couple of years ago that we covered on the podcast. The old adage of, you know, set them 300 in a day and we'll, and we'll try and bowl them out. I, I think captains are going to be scared to set that anymore. I feel like the, today was genuinely so crazy that it might have moved the goalpost forever. Yes, oh, in a way. I definitely but, directed that question at Stephen Finney. Did you? Well, don't first, because because I was there and Finney wasn't, and that was a road. That was an ODI pitch, right? So what you're you've got it's going to be conditions dependent. You know, I mean that was a that was basically almost exactly the same pitch as England scored 480 against Pakistan in 50 overs on. And it barely scuffed up and it gave nothing to anybody. So, you know, I mean, they got a red ball and they had Trent Bolt, which makes life a little bit tricky. But I think that's not, this isn't about setting a trend about what the score would be that you would set the fourth innings. It's about how you'd approach a chase in the fourth innings. And that's definitely, definitely changed. Finney, have you got anything you want to add to that? Or are you just happy with Norcross answering your question? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely jumped the gun and took your whole answer away from you there. I oh, I'm so sorry, but yeah. <laughs> uh, You've saved me some oxygen. It's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, Johnny Best, though, it was one of the greatest English test innings of all time, genuinely. I mean, he's a bizarre player. He averages about 33, although that's probably gone up after today's innings. He gets an unbelievable about unbelievable amount of low scores. He's got a batting average of something stupid when it's straight of about five. That's genuinely not an exaggeration. If seen bowlers bowl straight at Johnny Bairstow, he averages something like five in his test career. Um, and yet in amongst it all, he scored 900s. Um, he's capable of stuff like that. I mean, what 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 did we see today, Finney, with Johnny Bairstow that's, that's missing so often of the time? I'm just going to give Dan a couple of seconds to jump in if he wants to. <laughs> and he's now sticking his two fingers. We've both been sworn at in this podcast. We're only about 15 minutes in. I think it's all deeply unfair. Is that all? Um, Christ. Um, genuinely, Johnny Best, I mean, what the hell do you make out of a man who can do that today and at other times look, look all at sea, let's be honest, in an England test shirt? Oh, I think he likes the situation, doesn't he? He likes being the person who puts their hand up in an awkward situation like that, you could see how much he was loving it. And I, he scored three test hundreds this year. So people are allowed to evolve as they go through. And statistics obviously give you an indication how people have done over the course of their entire career. But I think this this year 
in the test matches that he's played since the 1st of January, he averages 50 or 60 or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's all very form dependent and, and how you're feeling at the time. But certainly in a run chase like that, to have the power of him coming in at number five and the ability to clear the ropes and make a chase that would be a tricky chase under almost any other circumstance look incredibly easy. And I think they finished it with 20 overs to spare, didn't they? Um, and Norcross could still only make it back for about 10 to, 10 to 11 in the evening. So had those extra 20 overs been bowled or or had we gone down to the wire and just fannied around for a little while and had a slog at the end, then then we may have been recording this even later. But but yeah, he, he loves the occasion. He loves it when his back's against the wall. I think even during this test match, there were people saying, oh, if Johnny doesn't score runs, it might be um, time to look at Harry Brook. And he goes out there again and, and does something like that. And that's the sort of people and characters that I think that Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes want in their team. I, I think you're absolutely bang on. And I, I was actually, my next question, you've almost started answering it now. I was going to say, I don't know if there's anyone in that dressing room that will benefit more from the Stokes McCullum regime era than Johnny Bairstow. We In recent history, very recent history, Joe Root and Chris Hilbert would have decided not to go after targets like that on the final day of a test match. And I even messaged a mate during the game when we when Joe Root got out cheaply to Trent Bolt and said, boring, I know, but we've got to dig in here and just take the draw on my mate back, text back saying, I completely agree. Or he said, maybe see where you're at at tea and go from there. But we basically gave Johnny Bairstow a license to do what he's, he's really bloody good at. And, I, and, and we saw... Johnny Bairstow would much rather, I'm sure, be told to hike the ball into the crowd for six than dig around for about three hours. There was a really beautiful moment at tea when I, I came out of the box. It was dad and his son, and he'd taken his son out of school because it was free, partly, but also because he knew the atmosphere was going to be great. And his, and his kid, his kid was about nine, ten years old, you know, and he loved, he loved his cricket. His dad was sort of teaching him about it, and he was saying to him at tea, "Was we looking out? I could see him on the stairwell, and he was going. Now, what's going to happen now is that because England are in a bit of bother, it doesn't look too bad with these two in. But if they lose a wicket, the next person who comes in doesn't hit it. He doesn't hit it as vigorously, and then after that, got very long tail. So, what will probably happen is it'll probably be a draw, and they'll probably just have to have a little look afterwards. What <laughs> past was said. That might happen, but I think it's more likely that they're going to go berserk because Stokes says he's going to win whatever. And left them with that thought, then realised that this poor kid, like, you know, his dad, who's very earnest in telling him all about the game of cricket, had just got it completely wrong. And it wasn't his fault he got it wrong. It's because that's what the right thing to do, we think. That's what we're, that's everything we've ever seen. And instead, this kid's brain must be bleeding right now because what what on earth was it? I mean, it was it was one of the most remarkable displays of hitting I've ever seen, of audacity, of fearlessness. These are players that, look, a couple of them weren't in the Lord's Test last year, which it's sort of analogised to, isn't it? To set 275 and 75, whatever it was, and they didn't go for it. There were very different circumstances. James Bracey was playing at number seven. You know, they didn't have Bairstow and Stokes. It wasn't the same kind of team. And the pitch at Lords was slow and boring, and this was quick, and the outfield was like glass. But I mean, the crowd was just went absolutely berserk, and the reason they were berserk was because they'd never seen anything like it. And most of these people who who can take a day off on a Monday quite like their cricket, so they've seen quite a lot of cricket, and they'd not seen anything like it. 
And that's the measure of what it was. Is it the, the flick switch? Like, remember in 2015 when the ODI team, sorry, Finney, was pretty rubbish after that World Cup. And then New Zealand arrived. Was it captained by Baz McCullum and encouraged us, encouraged Owen Morgan to play in a completely different, fearless way and England scored 400. Is it that flipped switch? I don't know. It'd be lovely if it was. They still don't have, you know, a reliable holding spinner. Leach had a bad game, I'm afraid. He didn't work for spinners. And they, they're lacking high pace because too many of them are injured. But they've made the most of their resources, haven't they? They've just yeah, they've won. won two test matches running, four down in a chase, still needing 200, over 200 to win. That's happened about five times in history. They've, they've beaten a side that scored 553 in the first innings. That's only happened about five times in history. The fastest hundreds, there were, were just records galore. They scored 12 sixes in 50 overs in a run chase. The, high, the, the fewest number of overs to reach 300 in the fourth innings of any test match ever played is 57. England were on 299 after 50. You've had a stats man sat next to you all day, have you? No, 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 (laughs) no, because I was on SEN for this. We were just, we were burning the bloody keyboard because what was going on was just ridiculous. Like, you know, honestly, it was absolutely ridiculous. It, it, it was mad. I mean, not only four down and chasing those scores, but winning both games by five wickets, winning them at an absolute canter. Finney, I mean, no England fan in their wildest dreams from, you know, how dejected we were after Australia and, uh, and India and the Caribbeans more recently and the state of the test team, that McCullum and Stokes come in. And there's been lots of words said in the build-up to this test series. You know, we're going to play aggressive, positive brand of cricket, blah, 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 blah. Words are really just words. Nobody could have imagined in their wildest dreams that not only would they put into practice exactly what they were saying, but way beyond what anything we've ever really seen before. I know it's two games, but I mean, how much credit the McCullum and Stokes deserve for just putting their money where their mouth is and transforming this side? It's unrecognisable. Yeah, I mean, you could be the most quintessential sports fan I've ever met because... One minute, everyone's abject and terrible. Then all of a sudden, the sun is shining out of every single person's arse that's got anything to do with England cricket. And then they'll lose the next test match and you say, oh, well, it's all rubbish again. How useless are they all? So so first and foremost, I've got to pull you up on that. But I think (laughs) it's not necessarily... I think there are a lot of people saying, and I've said it as well, there is a lot of talent in English cricket and there's no doubting that. Um, I think that the pitches that people have played on have been unkind. So it has made the weighting of um, people who may have the ability to play test match cricket. It's not giving them the confidence to go in and be able to play at the level that they think they should. But that also comes from the management. And not for a second am I saying that Joe Root and Chris Silverwood didn't make or want to make people feel like that. But there's something very convincing about Brendan McCullum about the way that he talks the reason that he was one of the most successful or if not the most successful captain that New Zealand have had and um, blazed the trail for people to play cricket and it takes a certain type of character to be able to do that and I've no doubt that him and Ben Stokes together are cultivating an environment in that dressing room that make people believe that they're able to do stuff rather than what is 
normally what English people think, we look at things where the glass is half empty. And, and naturally, we always do think that. So yeah, to, to have those guys at the helm like this is going to make people feel empowered and make them believe that they can do things that maybe they didn't think so before. Do you think, Philly, that in some way, McCullum was, was a terrific choice because he's a white ball coach. Everyone said, well, he's not done red ball coaching. But England's strong suit is their white ball team, isn't it? I mean, they're very... Yeah, they're, but he's he's captained the test match team where he pretty much ran the dressing room right. for six or seven years. So I, I don't like this whole, oh, he's not coached a Red Bull team. Like, the bloke played 100 test matches. He knows what happens inside a, a test match cricket dressing room. He knows how the environment works. And a lot of the time, the idea of the head coach is to just get the best out of the people that you have in the dressing room in international cricket. It's not to necessarily make people better players or technically make people better players. You make them feel comfortable, empower them and allow them to go and express themselves. And I think that's something that Trevor Bayliss did really well. Towards the end of his tenure, he didn't quite do it in test match cricket, I think because of the selections that were made. But certainly in white ball cricket, he did that. And when I played test matches, under him he made me feel like that and I think that this is something that um that Brendan McCullum will be helping those players feel I mean look at how Alex Lee's played today there's yeah. a different Alex Lee's to the one we've seen in test match cricket and I've no doubt that if you were to speak to him and ask him um what has changed and what's made him feel different he will say Brendan McCullum is making me believe that I can do it it's the Lee's transformation is extraordinary because actually the first innings at Lord's he was still the Alex Lees that had played the six innings in the West Indies, which was, you know, just trying to prove that he could bat time and that, that he had a right to be at the crease. Then in the second innings at Lords, his 20 was actually really important, it seemed to me. It sort of, he, he played the drives that he'd left alone. And in, in the two innings here, it was a revelation, really. He was the Lees that we heard about when he was young and he was at Yorkshire and he's got a great drive on him and... We hit six today, for heaven's sake. The Alex Lees that we saw in the West Indies was never going to hit a six. You know, he was like, like a completely different human being. Yeah, I think so many players are going to benefit from the McCollum-Stokes mindset and, uh, and, and, and maybe discover, I mean, in Alex Lees' case, discover maybe facets to his game he didn't even realise were there himself. And Finney, the pitch has been mentioned a few times. This is one annoyance I had during this test match, was the pitch getting praise. I heard it on the radio. I heard it on TV. Brilliant test wicket. Brilliant test wicket. Was it bollocks a good test wicket? It was an absolute road. I noticed all the people saying it was a good wicket were batsmen. Afazan Hussain kept talking about how brilliant a wicket it was. It was an absolute road with a glass outfield and a tiny boundary. There was 1,700 runs scored in the test match, the most boundaries in test cricket history. Um, and all of that was for 35 wickets, by the way. The average bowler had an average of something like 70 in total. Now, I think it was a wonderful test match and great to watch, but it was the two teams that made this a good test match. If you'd got the wrong two teams on that wicket, it could have been so dour. If England had got 400 in the first innings and needed to block out the rest of the test match, they could have done it with, frankly, they could have done it with their genitals. They could have left their bats in the changing room. It was that easy to bat on. Um, and Finney, as a bowler, yes, the match was wonderful. Yes, it was excellent. One of the best tats matches ever. Yes, it was a great advert for the game. But you can't be happy with that being called a great wicket. No, no, I don't think it was a great wicket at all. I think a great test match wicket starts off very good for batting. 
with even pace, even bounce. Um, and as the game on goes on, it deteriorates so that on the fourth and fifth day is it's challenging to bat on and score runs. And I think that that is the sign of a very, very good test pitch is someone who can make a pitch do that or a pitch that can create a game that as the game goes on, the wicket deteriorates and it gets harder to bat on. You get reverse swing, spin, you don't score freely. I'm a bowler and I'll always be biased, but I stand by the fact that most exciting periods or passages of play in test matches have been towards the back end of games when the ball has dominated the bat, not the other way around. Um, and I think I'll probably believe that until the day I die. He's, he's absolutely right. Uh, oh, what have I just done? He's absolutely right. And this pitch was was really bad for test matches. It was a great test match because actually both sides were quite flawed. New Zealand's second innings was a classic example of the third innings pickle theory. They needed to win the game, but they didn't quite know how to win the game. They had to win the game in order to have a chance of winning the series. And they got into terrible muddles. I mean, all 10 of their wickets, frankly, were to false shots or runouts. I mean, it's some ridiculous runouts. And in England's innings, you know, the, the tails capitulated. They capitulated a bit in New Zealand's innings. It was, it was a bit, it wasn't, it was a bit rubbish. We spent a lot of the time going, what the hell are they doing? But it made for one of the most magnificent spectacles you could wish to see. If you're going to get those pitches regularly and, you know, you're playing India or Australia or a, a good South Africa, then you'll, you'll need to have seven days maybe, I think, to make it a proper proper I contest. completely agree. It felt like you've got the only two teams in world cricket. I don't think that test match it happens with any other two teams in the world. This new Stokes McCollum era and the always positive Kiwis who needed to win the test match as well. So I will not be having that pitch praised, thank you, anymore from, from, from media here, here. and journalists. We all agree. We all agree. Yeah, we, yeah, agree we all agree. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you all go because it's much later than we ever planned. It's been a long record, this. Sorry. Uh, due to a few technical issues. No, it's not your fault. Uh, well, it is partly. Um, <laughs> but also very, very, very quickly, uh, Trent Bolt and Daryl Mitchell deserve a mention on the other side. And Ollie Pope deserves a mention for his wonderful 145 in the first innings as well. But we could go through every single player uh, but let's, you know what, for once on this podcast, let's just shut up really? and just say that that was a bloody good test match. Oh, Vinny, Daniel, I'm going to let you both go. Uh, test match cricket is alive and well, and I'll see you next week. Finney, why don't you race back to that bar and catch that last song from that band? Cheers. <laughs> Podcast Network.